Hello, Hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in His world. Welcome. Paul was a prisoner in Rome, roughly speaking, from 61 to 63 AD. And during that time, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And from 63 to 65, he was free to minister, and he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus. Well, he was imprisoned again in about 66, and he wrote 2 Timothy, and he was martyred in Rome in late 66 or early 67. Today, my friends, we close out the book of Acts and we make an important transition. Because just like that, we get to uh, episode 2106. Yeah, more than 2100 times, plus all the extras, which I quit counting some time ago. But our journey reading through the Bible is a commitment that I make every single day, Monday through Saturday, and then I usually do something a little extra on Sundays, and I've only ever missed a few, <laughs> most of those just in the last few months. I say that because I'm about ready to be in Europe for two and a half weeks, and we're going to keep doing this, but I'm going to be stripping it down. And comments like the ones you just heard where I had time to go look up and go, okay, here's the timeline of Paul's time in Rome that adds a little something so you kind of understand a little more of the context. Well, honestly, some of that is going to be a little challenged in terms of time, which also means that you and I are going to probably be a little more conversational than usual because I'm going to be reading and we're going to be talking about it on the fly, not quite as planned. And that means it's probably be less clean than usual. And I'm usually imperfect, so get ready for more imperfect. <laughs> Today we pick up... Acts chapter 25 at verse 23. And you might recall that right where it left off, Agrippa says to Festus, oh, I'd like to hear this guy myself. And Festus is like, yep, tomorrow you will hear him. Here we go. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the auditorium with the military commanders and prominent men of the city. When Festus gave the command, Paul was brought in, and then Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has appealed to me concerning him, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he should not live any longer. I found that he had done nothing deserving death, but when he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. I have nothing definite to write to my lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after this examination is over, I may have something to write. For it seems unreasonable to me to send a prisoner without indicating the charges against him. And Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am about to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially since you are very knowledgeable about all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. 
All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial because of the hope. I'm just going to say that again, my friends. What's the name of this podcast? For the, mm, yeah, bring it, hope. And now I stand on trial because of the hope in what God promised to our ancestors. The promise our 12 tribes hope to reach as they earnestly serve him night and day. King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why do you consider, why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison, since I had received authority for that from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. Now I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and a commission from the chief priests, King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those traveling with me. And we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I asked, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first and to those in Jerusalem and in all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. And it's for this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and were trying to kill me. To this very day, I have had help from God and I stand and testify to both small and great saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah would suffer, and that, as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You are out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. 
On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. For the king knows about these matters, and I can speak boldly to him. For I am convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice, since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, Are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, well, except for these chains. The king, the governor, Bernice, and all those sitting with them got up, and when they had left, they talked with each other and said, This man isn't doing anything to deserve death or even imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. When it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. And when we had boarded a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us, and the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. When we had put out to sea from there, we sailed along the northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And after sailing through the open sea off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra in Lycia. Now there, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days, with difficulty, we arrived off Snidus. And since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along the south side of Crete, off Salmon. With still more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the city of Lycia. Now by now, much time had passed, and the voyage was already dangerous. Since the Day of Atonement was already over, Paul gave his advice and said, Man, I can see that this voyage is headed toward disaster and heavy loss, not only of the cargo, but the ship, and also our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship, rather than to what Paul said. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete facing the southwest and northwest, and to winter there. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete, but before long, a fierce wind called the Northeaster rushed down from the island, and since the ship was caught, and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Kada, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship. Fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the drift anchor, and in this way they were driven along. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. 
For many days, neither sun nor stars had... Uh, just pause, right? Oh. The ship ship's tackle is like probably the heavy metal things that bind things together and that through which they guide ropes and, you know, build. so it's, it's heavy, but that shows their desperation, right? Because without the tackle, they're not going to be able to really steer the ship or, or, you know, they're, they're getting down to the end here. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. For many days, neither sun nor stars appeared and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, You men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. But now I urge you to take courage, because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. For last night an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. So take courage, men, because I believe God that it will be just the way it was told me. But we have to run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night came, we were drifting into the Adriatic Sea, and about midnight the sailors thought they were approaching land, and they took soundings and found it to be a hundred twenty feet deep, and when they sailed a little farther, they sounded again, and they found it to be ninety feet deep, and then, fearing we might run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship, and they had let down the skiff into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out anchors from the bow? Paul said to the centurions and the sailors and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop away. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, This is the fourteenth day that you have been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. So I urge you to take some food, because this is for your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. And after he had said these things, and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them, and after he broke it, he began to eat. They all were encouraged and took food themselves, and in all there were 276 of us on the ship. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but sighted a bay with a beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could, and after cutting loose the anchors, they let them, they left them in the sea, and at the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders, and then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach. But... They struck a sandbar and ran the ship aground. The bow jammed fast and remained immovable, while the stern began to break up by the pounding of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away and escape, but the centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul 
And so he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to follow, some on planks and some on debris from the ship. But in this way, everyone safely reached the shore. Once safely ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, oh, This man, no doubt, is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would begin to swell up or just suddenly drop dead. And after they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius. And he welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery, and Paul went to him, and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So they heaped many honors on us, and when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. After three months, we set sail in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island with the quote-unquote twin gods as its figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days, and from there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day we came to Pudioli, and there we found brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them. And so we came to Rome. Now the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who had guarded him. After three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing wrong against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And after they examined me, they wanted to release me since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no charge to bring against my people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and to speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And then they said to him, We haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we want to hear what your views are, since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect. And after arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God, he tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, 
but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement when he said, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, Go to these people and say, You will always be listening, but never understanding. And you will always be looking, but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that wraps up the book of Acts. Lord God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you're not only the Alpha and the Omega, Lord, but that what you've declared is true and that all our hope, including for Israel, anyone who turns to you in faith and trusts that it is your work, not ours, that saves us, Lord, I just pray that every heart here would be humbled and encouraged to keep their eyes on the hope in the midst of the mess. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.